As we begin the new year, many of us may be feeling the weight of the past and the uncertainty of the future. But today, we come together to remind ourselves that every day is a chance for a fresh start. No matter what has happened in the past, we have the opportunity to learn from our mistakes, let go of our regrets, and to embrace the promise from God of a new beginning. Here with today's message is Jim Scudder, Jr. Life is full of challenges, isn't it? Uh, one of the biggest challenges in life are children. We're going to talk a little bit today about how to make sure that our relationship with our kids is what God wants it to be. And as I was thinking through that, I thought, uh, I was reading through some news articles and I came across this one that I was shocked about. If you think you have issues with your kids, think about this headline. 67-year-old Ugandan man who has 102 children says inflation is why he's done having kids. (laughs) You think you have issues and problems? Musa Hashaya is married to 12 women. Of course, polygamy is legal in Uganda. Uh, Not wise, but legal. The Bible says that you should only have one master. (laughs) That's terrible. I'll just throw that one on my dad. He would say that a lot. And... um, The article says that him and his wives have 102 children and collectively have 568 grandchildren. It's unbelievable. The farmer wants to ensure he can provide enough food for everyone. So he's decided to stop having children. Quote, my income has become lower and lower over the years due to the rising cost of living. And my family has become bigger and bigger. He said to the Daily Mail, along with his wives, around a third of Hashiah's children age between 6 and 51, how's that for a spread, live on his farm with him. All wives stay in one house so he can keep an eye on them (laughs) so they don't leave him for another man. Leave. No. And the article says, hopefully this farmer won't plant any more seeds in 2023. (laughs) So, you thought your life was complicated. Now, how can we, in all seriousness, and I guess that was a a true story, a true article, but how can we, in our lives, make sure that we're doing things the way God wants us to do things, and how can we make sure that the relationships that we are in with our spouse, with our children, with our neighbors, with our family members, with our boss, with our coworkers and our colleagues, how can those relationships be right, and how can they be Uh, relationships that are edifying to both parties. Last time we read in Lamentations about God's mercies, and it says in Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. So this is a very important key aspect of the way God is. And it says, because his compassions fail not. This, in verse 23, is really the focus. They are new, his mercies, His compassions are new every morning. I really think this is an important uh, 
whose phone's ringing? Grab that. If it's not God, hang it up, turn it off. We just had a whole video that said, turn off your cell phones. Did you guys hear that? Let's make that your New Year's resolution. You know, next Sunday, mine's going to be on. I'm going to forget it. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So there's great solace in that, right? And the fact that, yeah, you may have messed up. I may have messed up uh, yesterday or last week or last year. But today and tomorrow, it's new. And I'm going to commit or recommit to making sure that everything that I'm going to do, especially in my relationships, the, the most important relationship is with God, everything I'm going to do is going to be for his glory and for his honor. And when we do that, when we have that proper relationship with a God that is so gracious and so merciful, that's going to flow out of us into all the rest of our relationships. God is rich in mercy. We learned that last time as well. We learned that he is love. It's not one of his attributes or characteristics. It is what he is. He is love. And we learned that he created us for fellowship. Fellowship. And that's really what relationships are, right? It's spending time with other people. And sometimes we think that we'd like to just kind of be alone and live the hermit life. Uh, some people try that and some people can actually do it. They are so cantankerous that they, uh, they can't even get along with themselves, let alone other people. And so they live a life of solitude, but it is incredibly rare. Almost all of us are have to have interaction with other people. So relationships are important. It's, it's within the fabric of our, our being. It's how God created us. He created us so that he can fellowship with us. And in, in the Bible, it talks about uh, in, the, in the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam and Eve. And then it also says, when, when it was just Adam, that it's not good for man to be alone. So we see that we are made in God's image. And part of that, uh, part of the way he made us is for fellowship. Now, there's a story that illustrates this. I hope that this is not a, a true story. It is said to be a true story. Uh, a cruel experiment was carried out by an emperor by the name of Frederick. He was a ruler in the Roman Empire in the 13th century. He wanted to find out what the original human language was. So his experiment, and he had other cruel experiments, but this one's remarkably cruel. He decided to take a number of babies who had uh, just been born, and take them away from their, their families, from their mothers. He solicited a group of nurses that would raise them, but the stipulation was that the nurses could never communicate with these babies. They could never make any sounds with these babies. All they could do is care for them and basically leave them alone. It is said in this experiment that it was not very long into the experiment that all the babies died. And so, again, I hope that that isn't a, a, a true story, but it was written as true. Human relationships are essential because we have that relationship with God. We were made in his image. And when we have that correct relationship with God, all of our relationships are going to be right with our, with our spouse, with our kids, with our families, with our neighbors, with our friends and our our co-workers. Now let's look at 1 John 4.11. It's beloved. If God so loved us, and we, we understand how much he loved us, he sent his son to die for us. Uh, we were sinners 
and his wonderful, wonderful son paid for our sin on the cross because we couldn't save ourselves. That was God demonstrating, the old English word was commendeth, his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in Romans. So that's how we know for sure that God loved us. And if God so loved us, now where does it sit with us? It says, we ought also to love one another. This is an imperative. This is something that we have to focus on, and that is loving one another. There's an old publication by the name of the Bible Track Bulletin, and it listed the Ten Commandments of Human Relationships. It actually still applies. It's still pretty good, and I'll give that to you. Number one, speak to people. You think that would be a no-brainer, right? Speak to people. If you want to have good relationships, good human relationships, speak to people. There's nothing as nice as a cheerful word of greeting. Number two, they recommend that you smile at people. This is a little bit harder, but it is just as important. You know, they say it takes 72 muscles to frown, but only 14 to smile. Unless you're doing exercise, smile, smile. Smile at people. Number three, call people by name. Music to anyone's ears is the sound of his or her own name. And I really try to do this. I usually get your name wrong, but at least I called you a name. And I apologize for calling you the wrong name, but we should. Very, very, very important to call people by name. Number four, be friendly and helpful. That would seem to make sense, right? If you want to have a good human relationship. Number five, they say be cordial. Speak and act as if everything you do is genuinely a pleasure. And if not, they say, learn to make it so. Number six, be genuinely interested in people. You can like almost everybody if you try, they say. I love the word almost. The Bible actually talks about, you know, if it's possible uh, to, to be kind, to be to loving to other people. And, um, and how do we know if, if someone is actually interested in you? It's, they're, they're not talking about themselves. They're asking you questions about you. That's how you'll know they're interested. So how can you show that you, you really do care, that you really are interested in someone you're talking to? Stop talking about yourself. You say, well, then, then how will they get to know me? Well, they'll ask you about yourself, okay? Make sure your whole conversation isn't about you. Um, and there's a few of you that, that do this a lot, and I'm not gonna point you out in public. I'll do it private. But, but how do you know if, if someone is actually interested? They, they ask you questions about yourself, and then they actually remember your answers, and, uh, and you'll pretty soon learn quickly, especially like in marriage, if he is listening at all, right? They said also, number seven, be generous with praise. That's a really important one. And cautious with criticism. Not to say we shouldn't ever criticize. Certainly we should. I think it, there, there's a place for that. We have to come at it, though, with, with caution. We have to come at it with love. But, but let's be generous with praise. Let's edify. Let's build each other up and do that um, 
to help our relationships. Number eight, they say, be considerate with the feelings of others. They go on to say, there are usually three sides to a controversy. Yours, the other fellows, and the right one. Number nine, be alert to serve. They say, what counts most in life is what we do for others. Isn't that the example of Jesus? He is the example of proper human relationship. And if we want to have the proper human relationship, we will study him. We will get to know what he did and what he said and how he acted or interacted with those around him. And we will have the, the, the same actions as, as he did. He was a servant. He's the God of all glory. He's the one that, that shouldn't serve any of us, but that's what he did. So I think this is a very important one. And then number 10, they say, add to this a good sense of humor, amen, a big dose of patience, a dash of humility, and you will be rewarded manifold through life. I thought that was really good and really helpful, the Ten Commandments of Human Relationships. You know what's really interesting is the the next passage that we're going to go to is in Romans chapter 13, and it actually does list some of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. And it tells us the secret to keeping the Ten Commandments. And that is, don't try to keep the Ten Commandments. You say, wait a a second. Did a pastor at a pulpit just say, don't keep the Ten Commandments? Well, yes and no. You can't. You can't, okay? So, but but it is possible uh, if, let's just see what Paul was telling to the Roman believers. In Romans 13, verse 8, owe no man anything but to... Okay, if you're going to get in debt, not to say you can never borrow money, but be careful with that. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, if you're going to owe someone something, this is what it ought to be. But to love one another. Love one another. You want to improve your relationships, your marriage, your relationships with your children, whether they're still in the house or if they're grown, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Love one another another. That's the debt you should have. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So if you want to keep the law, love. Why? Well, let's, let's continue to go through Romans 13. In verse 9, it says, for this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Okay, so there's some commandments. How can we keep those commandments? Love. You say, well, how can, how can love keep me from murdering someone or committing adultery or coveting? Well, here, well, let's continue to read. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, okay? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet what he has or lust after his wife. Do you see how love is the way that we can please God, that we can accomplish these things that without love we cannot accomplish? Isn't that incredible? It's the key. It's the key to the Christian life. Verse 10, love worketh no ill, to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
Let's talk about love. The closest human relationship that there is, is marriage, is marriage. There was once a wedding rehearsal and the, uh, the groom in the rehearsal leaned over to the pastor that was officiating and said, hey, pastor, you know, I kind of want to make a deal with you. There's one line in the vows I really am not comfortable with. I don't really want to say that I'm going to love her and cherish her uh, and you know, make sure I'm faithful to her uh, until uh, death do us part. Can you just kind of leave that one out of the vows? And here's 100 bucks if you'll do that. The pastor agreed. Wasn't this pastor... So they're staring, the next day they're standing up at the ceremony and it comes time for the vows and the pastor asks the, the groom, he says, and do you promise to obey her and to treat her uh, amazingly and to make her breakfast in bed and to prostrate yourself and, and fulfill her every will? And he couldn't believe what he was being asked to do. And he gulped and in a tiny voice said, yes. Then he leaned up to the pastor. I said, I thought we had a deal. And he said, she made me a better one. (laughs) And if that's how marriage gets started, it's going to be an interesting relationship. She made me a better deal. So what is love? When we're talking about love, what is love? Well, there's a lot of different types of love, right? Someone has said there's something called pizza love. What is pizza love? Well, if you ask a kid, what's your favorite food? They're almost all going to say pizza, right? They love pizza. I love pizza. How many of you love pizza? Okay. Love it. Not great for you. It's good. Good. Really good. We took something the Italians tried to invent and made it really good, especially here in Chicago. So pizza love was, you know, it's just, I love whatever that is. That's kind of one kind of a love. And then there's other kinds of love. Uh, there's a brotherly love. The Bible actually talk, uh, talks about this. A phileo is the Greek word for brotherly love. We kind of understand what that is. There's puppy love. <laughs> any of your uh, kids' experiences, any of you remember those days? Puppy love. And then there's the love of a mother, uh, which is a wonderful love. There's eros love, which is a, uh, a passion or a desire. And then there's marriage love. So, so what, what is the love that we are to have for each other? What, what is the love that we are to have in our, our marital relationships? Well, the Bible calls it agape. Agape, right here. Agape, love. What is agape? It is a sacrificial love. It doesn't have conditions. It is a, a, a dying love. It's more than just a feeling. It's literally an action. It's an act of the will. The agape love is the love that God has for you. Sacrificial. Without strings attached. God loves you. Agape love. And this is the love that we need to have in our, in our marriages. For a woman, here's a way for you to understand what agape love means in marriage. Agape means that you will be interested in March Madness, okay? That's agape love. For the man, agape love is you will sit down and watch a Hallmark movie. That's agape love, right? I think I hit a nerve just now. There was once a mild-mannered man who was really sick and tired of his wife bossing him around. 
And so we went to a psychiatrist and uh, explained all this. And the psychiatrist said, hey, I've got a good book, book for you on assertiveness. So this guy goes out to the parking lot, flips through the book, speed reads it, gets home, slams the door and said, woman, I am tired of you bossing me around from now on. This is how it's going to be. You're going to wait on me from hand to foot. As soon as I get home, you're going to have a gourmet meal on the table. After I'm done eating, you will wipe my face with a napkin and you will then serve me a sumptuous dessert. After that, you will draw me a bath so I can relax from the stress of the day. And after that, you will get me dressed and comb me, comb my hair. And she says, yeah, really? Who's going to do that? Last part, the funeral director. (laughs) So books on assertiveness aren't necessarily what's going to help your marriage, but what will help your marriage is what God says about marriage. It's really simple just to go. So if God created us and God created marriage between, by the way, one man and one woman, that's how he designed it. That's the only way it works. Okay. If God did this, shouldn't we open up what he said about it and read it and know it? Shouldn't that be what we should do? Why would we, why would we go to psychology or psychiatry? Why would we go and try to understand man's wisdom on this? What does God say? Well, God says in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You say, well, that's antiquated. Well, I'm telling you, if he designed us, he made us, he made marriage, he knows what he's talking about. Okay. We're not talking about the husband being a dictator or a jerk. We're going to get to the husband. I think actually the husband has the, the higher hill to climb here. Okay. And women, you probably don't think so, but I really do. Uh, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, uh, even as Christ is the head of the church. So this is, this is, there, there's a, there's a, an important lesson here because it ties in the obedience or the, the reverence that a woman should have to the husband to the reverence that the church should have for Christ. You see, there's a, there's a connection to God here. This is not just, you know, an antiquated, this is the culture of the day and that's what they did. This is deeper than that. Okay. So this is very important. Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject or be unto their own husbands in everything. So for the, for the wife, uh, she needs to respect. She needs to uh, know that the, the man is wired to be a provider, a protector, and a fixer. That's why he wants to fix you. Don't try to fix your wife, okay? Listen to your wife. We'll get to that in a second. But that's why he's trying to fix you. You have a problem. You tell him the problem. You don't want him to fix your problem. You want someone to listen. You want someone to be thoughtful, someone to be caring. Okay, so husbands, we'll get to that in a second. But what a wife needs to do is respect, respect. If this doesn't come natural to, uh, to show him deference and, and to respect him as the provider and the fixer and the protector. But it takes work. And that's where, that's where God comes into the situation for the woman, for the, for the, the female in the marriage relationship to not, not to say she should never have an opinion. Certainly a good man is wise to ask and value the opinion of his wife. 
okay? But women, the, the husband is the head, not of the home, but of the wife. That's what it says here. Now you say, well, yeah, the husband is the head, but I'm the neck. It turns the head, okay? But you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Okay, then let's go to verse 25. Husbands. Now, if you women say, well, that's too hard. I can't do that. Now, listen to what we have to do, okay? Love your wives. By the way, this is agape. Agape love. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. I, I submit to you, this is the harder task. We have to love unconditionally, sacrificially, uh, we have to love all the time as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He sacrificed himself. He was a servant. So husbands, this is what we are to be doing in the marital relationship. And it doesn't come natural to us. So husbands, here's what you need to do. You need to do two things. You need to be more thoughtful. I know that's scary. Thoughtful. And you have to be more romantic. Okay. Just as the woman doesn't come naturally to her to, to uh, show deference and respect and obey, it also doesn't come natural for the husband to be thoughtful and romantic. But if you will do those two things, you will be amazed at how your marriage relationship improves because this is what God told us to do. How do you love your wife? Unconditionally, agape, sacrificially. Be thoughtful and be romantic. So how do you do that? Figure it out. Figure it out. I don't know. Watch, uh, 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 go through Pinterest and find some sort of uh, uh, craft. I know you're laughing. That would impress her, though, if you did that. Make her something nice. Okay. So that's basically what, what God is trying to tell us to do as husbands and wives to have a good marital relationship. Again, to have the best relationship is when you have the close relationship with God in a daily fellowship, and then from that's going to flow out a, a good relationship with your, your husband or your wife. Now, what about kids? What about kids? In Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of thy youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full. You say, well, how many... How many are in the quiver? Well, that's, I hope it's not over 100, right? Uh, but what, what does that mean? Well, first of all, children are a heritage of the Lord. We have to look at our children not as a pain or as a problem, but as a gift, as a treasure, okay? We're to guard that. The Lord needs to build a house, but we need to be the person in the house that values next to your relationship with God and your relationship to your wife the relationship with your children has to be top. And you have to, you have to focus on them. You can't, uh, you can't ignore them. Uh, you have to spend time with them and, and find out what their interests are and do things with them. Love them, okay? Now, how many children should you have? I had one guy, he was really big on having these big seminars. You would know his name. I'll just say his name, Bill Gothard. He was coming to my church 
And uh, he comes up to me and says, yeah, I found out. I studied out, uh, be fruitful and multiply in Genesis. And I studied out uh, here in Psalms what the quiverful is. He said, be fruitful and multiply means seven children. And then he said, uh, your quiverful means eight children. I, I'm like looking at him like, are you kidding me, Bill? Are you saying that the Bible's wrong? Is it seven or is it eight? You know, so, you know our quiver was full at two. I don't know what your quiver holds, uh, but that's, it does, the Bible doesn't say, okay? I think 111 is too many. Uh, but the bottom line here is when you have children, however many you decide to have, and be prayerful about that, ask the Lord to help you in this. This is a tough thing. I mean, even before they're born, think about this. You are given the responsibility of giving this, this soul a name. A name. How hard is a name? It can't be old-fashioned, right? It can't be, uh, it can't be someone that you don't like. All the while, the name has to, ref- has to ensure your inheritance. I mean, this is a tough thing, just naming the kids. Then they're born. And you spend the first year teaching them to walk and to talk. And then you spend the next 20 years teaching them to sit down and stop talking. <laughs> this is a tough thing that God has, has entrusted us with. And, and most people don't know. They don't think they come with a, uh, uh, an owner's manual, but they actually do. They actually do. The Bible gives us the instructions on how to uh, be good parents. Let's give you a couple tips that I've learned in my life. I learned this from my parents, and I've also learned this uh, as a parent. Um, and, and by the way, just, I'll just tell you this. You can say no to your children. You can say no. I know that's hard to believe, but you really should say no. Not all the time. You need to say yes, too, but you need to say no. Now, grandparents, you never should say no. Amen? Here's a couple tips. Parent the heart, not the behavior. Parent the heart. Uh, how do you do that? Well, watch their facial expressions. Okay? They might be saying, okay, or they, they'll do what you say to do, but you can watch their face to know if they really have the, that correct attitude. Okay, this is one of those things. If you can get good at reading their attitude on their face, it will go along the way. Why? Because you've got to get rid of that rebellion. Discipline them. Discipline them. Now, that's not all you do. You have to discipline from the foundation of love. You're going to be putting in the bank love, spending time, getting on the floor, playing with them, turning off your device, having dinner with them. Okay, doing all of those things that we can build relationships with our children. Do some things with them individually. All right. So, so you're, you're putting all of that in the bank. And then when it comes time to discipline, you're going to do that from the foundation of love. They're going to know for sure, for sure, for sure that you love them. And that what you're going to do is, is from that perspective. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his sons. Do you hate your children? Well, I'm not going to spank them. Well, the Bible says to spank your children, okay? God actually chastens us as, as his children, so we should be chastening our, our children if you love them. 
if you love them. When do you spank? You spank for willful disobedience. You spank for defiance of authority. Okay, willful disobedience and defiance of authority. Now, one thing that you do need to do with your children is praise them. Here's a list of things that you can say to your children. I'm proud of you. Way to go. I knew you could do it. What a good helper. You're very special to me. I trust you. What a treasure. Beautiful work. Well done. That's so creative. You're a joy. I love you. Say I love you to your children every day. and Maybe multiple times a day. Encourage, build them up, praise them. And then your relationship with your children, if you'll do that, will flourish. Now you say, well, what if I've really messed up? What if it's, is, is it too late for me? If they're still in the house, you're still in charge, okay? And, and if you'll love them, the agape love them, you know, you'll be, need to be strict sometimes. You'll need to be the parent, okay? But they're gonna respond to that eventually. If you continue to love them, they'll respond to that and they will, uh, they will come out right. Now, what about the relationship between a employer and an employee? Okay, this is another big relationship, an important one. Um, the Bible actually says in Colossians 3.22, servants, obey all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, obviously, the context of the day when this was written was the Roman Empire, which had uh, more slaves than, than free people. And obviously, we, we today know that that's not the way that society should, uh, should be. But I think Christianity is what changed slavery. And uh, we're thankful that it isn't uh, part of our world. But there's still this principle here, right? Obey those things that your boss tells you to do. And then it says in verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now this is hard. This is how you can be a good employee. You need to work hard. You shouldn't steal. Now some people, I, I wouldn't steal, but what if you're not working hard? That's stealing, right? You're, you're, you're being lazy at work or whatever. Don't do that. That's not honoring God. You say, well, I thought I had to honor the Lord, but my boss isn't the Lord. Well, that's true, except the Bible says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. So here's what I would suggest. Treat your boss as you would treat Christ. That's actually what the next verse says in Colossians 3.24. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Have you ever thought of that? At work, you're actually serving the Lord? Now, some of you work here, and uh, that you especially need to be uh, uh, aware of the way that you should behave yourselves at work. But all of us do. Don't talk behind the boss's back. Don't talk, talk behind other people's back. Be on time. Be on time. Say, Pastor, you're really hitting close to home today. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just telling you. If you want to have a good relationship with your boss, here are some things that you should think about and things that you should do. Now, what about a relationship, if you're the boss, with your employees? Well, here's in, in the next chapter, in Colossians 4, verse 1, Masters given to your servants that which is just and equal, 
knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It always goes back to your relationship with God, right? In the marriage, it talks about the relationship with Christ. In, in the home, uh, in, in, in the workplace, it's always tying it back to the relationship with God. So here are some tips for bosses. Treat your employees right. Pay them a fair wage. Don't seek to get rich at others' expenses, expense, and be a servant. If you can do those things as a boss, you will endear your, your workers and they will work harder for you because they know you are taking advantage, you're treating them fair, you're being respectful, and you are a servant yourself. And the, uh, the workflow, the work pace will certainly improve. So how can we have a fresh start, especially in our relationships? It all comes down to making Jesus the example. Knowing him first, and then learning more about him every day, studying him, knowing what he said, knowing what he, what he wants us to do in our lives. He is the example. He is the ultimate example of agape. He is the one that came and died for our sins and rose again. If we can be like him, you will have no problems in your relationships. If we can be like him, everything will come together. And that's really the simplicity of it all. How can we have a fresh start? His mercies are new. He is a God of love. Love is the platform where, where we can show others that we care about them in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, at work, in our neighborhoods. If we can really, truly love people as God loves us, as Christ loved us, we're going to have a great new year. And I hope all of you have learned something in, in our series, in our study, in this Fresh Start series. And I hope that maybe uh, there might be a few of you that have never, you don't remember a time in your life that you've put your faith in Jesus. You don't remember a time that you've, that you've uh, accepted the gift called eternal life. Uh, the Bible actually calls salvation a gift. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift. Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation is a gift. How do we get the gift? Through faith. This is all by God's grace. What is faith? Faith is trust, dependence, putting our faith in, not ourselves, not a our religion, not a priest, not a pastor, not a prayer, but in the person and work of Jesus he is the son of God. He came, he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all the prophecies, all the types. He came and died on the cross, pouring out his blood for you. He loved you that much that he has given you the ability to be saved from hell to heaven. So how, how can you be saved? Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's anyone, believeth in him, that's to trust in him, should not perish, that's hell, but have everlasting life, and that's heaven. That's a glorious verse. It's a simple verse, but it's profound, isn't it? God loved you enough to send his son to die for your sins on the cross. And if you'll believe in him, trust in him, accept that gift right now, the Bible says that at this very moment, you're saved. Not just for right now, but for eternity. That's the greatest news in the entire world. And that will kickstart a fresh start in all of your relationships.